Hello, and welcome to the ProRata Podcast, a podcast that takes 10 minutes to get you smarter, faster on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Filling in for Dan Primack today, I'm Axios Special Projects producer, Naomi Shaven. On today's show, coronavirus hits Apple and tech alarm bells sound in Nevada. But first, why U.S. cities can't recycle. Recycling in the U.S. had long been on the rise, dating back to the 1960s. In 2017, the U.S. generated 267.8 million tons of waste, 67 million tons of which was recycled. But in 2018, China implemented a ban on importing recyclable goods from the rest of the world. China had been processing almost half of the world's recycling prior to the ban. One result is that now a lot more plastic is ending up in landfills. Cities in the U.S. are struggling to find new markets for their recyclable goods and canceling their recycling programs entirely in some cases. Alexandria, Virginia and Katy, Texas recently stopped collecting glass. Hawaii County stopped collecting paper and plastic. Baltimore County recently revealed that the city had not recycled any of the glass it collected in seven years, despite encouraging residents to recycle glass and collecting it from recycling bins. In many cases, cities are simply throwing away the recyclables that residents sort because it's too expensive to recycle them, and no one will buy the recyclables. Planet Money explored the problem last year at a recycling center in Arizona and found that it costs $200 to get a ton of plastic recycled, but only $30 to bury it all in a landfill. One option in all of this, cities could start to charge residents for recycling services to offset the costs there's a decent chance that residents would buy in because recycling has become a norm and people who are environmentally conscious generally believe in the environmental value of recycling. Automation could also bring down costs. Currently, recycling still relies on people sorting through materials to weed out contaminated items and garbage. If robots could take over that sorting process, it could bring down some operating costs associated with recycling. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios reporter Erica Pandy. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Joining us is Erica Pandy, a reporter at Axios, to talk about how recycling in U.S. cities has gone awry. Erica, can you tell us a little bit about the big picture of recycling in the U.S.? Do we know, for example, what percentage of goods that are recycled by consumers are actually being recycled by their municipalities? That stat from the EPA puts it right into perspective right away, and that's that the recycling rate in the U.S. is 35.2%, and that $9 billion worth of recyclable materials are thrown away each year. So there's a financial angle here, but also there's the obvious environmental angle, which is that single stream recycling, the status quo that we've been doing is just not working anymore, you know, both the science of it and the economics of it. And we'll get into this. And that's because China has stopped accepting U.S. waste and cities are kind of on the front lines of figuring out what happens next. Yeah. Can you take us back to what happened when China stopped buying recyclables and sort of how immediate the effects were of that ban? China has been the biggest buyer of U.S. recycled materials for years. And it said, you know, we've got enough of our own waste. We want to deal with this problem internally. We're closing our doors to the world's trash. That was in 2017. And before the ban, the U.S. was exporting around 70 percent of its waste to China. So when that source just gets cut off immediately for a lot of these small cities that have gamed out their budgets years and years in advance, 
not having a big buyer for these recyclable materials just stops making this process that is crucial to our environment worth it for them. Gotcha. Let's look at what happened in Baltimore as an example of how this can impact a local place working through their recycling issues. Residents were sorting their recyclables for years only to find out that their glass wasn't going to recycling centers. So what was happening and where was that glass ending up? This was an issue of exactly as we talked about the sort of it's just not being worth it anymore. And even a little bit of contamination to when you're throwing out a glass bottle into the recycling bin and feeling like, okay, you know, I'm doing my part. I'm putting it in the right place. Even the slightest bit of contamination because we don't have the tech for it makes it unusable. So all this glass for the past seven years was just being dumped instead. And it was a huge deal when Baltimore came out and said that, but this story is repeated across city after city all over the country. Our colleague Kim visited a recycling center in Virginia to watch the process, and it sounds like it could be described as semi-automated. There are people who sort through recyclables, but then some of it is automated and handled by machinery. Can you talk about how much automation is already part of the recycling process and where there's room for more? There's automation in the recycling process just the way it is in, you know, a typical e-commerce warehouse, for example. You've got conveyor belts and machines doing compacting and all that, but there's definitely room for more, especially because these facilities are often very, very dangerous. The work is not only tedious, but it's very dangerous. So if you get robots to come in and do some of that, you could free up humans. You know, there's the angle of, of people losing their jobs, but you know, if plants are smart about this, humans could work on other things, maybe, you know, dealing with contamination issues and making the plant more efficient if they're not having to do the actual brunt work of the sorting and the processing. And beyond automation, it seems like there could also be an opportunity for AI, especially when it comes to sorting materials. Have there been any tech breakthroughs in this field or other places where it might make sense to look at AI as a potential solution? So when I spoke with experts about AI recycling, they sort of told me that the the big breakthroughs are actually happening in China on this. And, you know, and we just talked about how China, they closed their doors to the world's waste and said we were going to start getting smarter about handling our own waste. One key way AI can be used is when different sorts of materials are on a conveyor belt, being able to sort them through computer learning, you know, what's glass, what's cardboard, and not having to have a human sit there and do that would make that much faster and much easier on the plants. Some of that is happening in China. And here there's, I don't know too much about the startup and innovation space and whether companies or whether Silicon Valley is starting to see kind of the tech and and the, the money in this. But for sure at universities across the country, they're playing with grant money to try to figure out how to inject AI into this old, old process. There's a new movement that's gaining traction towards circular economies, economies that are designed to reuse or reduce or eliminate waste in the first place. Does the work that China's doing and what some of these other groups are looking into dovetail with that concept of a circular economy, sort of eliminating the amount of waste that's generated and then has to be removed from the economy itself by just keeping it all sort of in this continuous loop? Yeah, this is a really, really interesting concept. This is super, super new to me as well. I sort of first heard about it when it was getting thrown around in Davos, this idea of a circular economy, and it's basically just let's keep our materials in use as long as possible. I would say from from what I've read and from what, what I've, from conversations that I've had with, with people studying this field, China is a little bit at the leading edge of this concept as well. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, when it comes to recycled materials, when it comes to sustainable fashion, how this spreads in the U.S.
Great. And one last question. It seems like this is an industry that is ripe for disruption. Has there been interest from startups or venture capital in looking at how recycling could be disrupted? Yeah, I think this is a super key question. The bulk of the research and the bulk of the how do we use tech to change this is happening in academia and at universities. And a lot of that is because of the big picture that we outlined right at the beginning. And that's that, you know, the economics of recycling is broken and there could be money in it. The, the big problem right now is that there just simply aren't buyers for recycled materials. Cardboard, for example, has e-commerce companies will want to buy that because of, of all this need for shipping and packaging. But after China exited the market so abruptly, things like glass just don't have a buyer. So I think when that problem is fixed of, of where, how, how do we actually get these materials where they need to go and, and make money off of them, then you'll start to see tech get involved and say, okay, there's actual, you know, there's a business case to be made here. Thanks so much for joining us, Erica. Thank you. My final two after this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. Apple announced yesterday that it will not hit its expectations for quarterly earnings because of the impacts of coronavirus on both iPhone production and demand. As Ina Fried points out, Apple relies on China for production, like many companies, but it also gets a lot of revenue sales in China. Manufacturing facilities had closed to prevent the virus from spreading, which slowed production. But demand also slowed because many stores have been closed as well. In a statement on the situation, the company did share that global demand has remained strong and that it expects this to be temporary. Second, the Nevada caucus is Saturday, and there are already warning signs that it could be plagued with similar tech and reporting problems to those we saw in Iowa. The Washington Post reports that campaigns are increasingly concerned about the reporting technology and that the Democratic Party in Nevada has not explained the basic process to them. Meanwhile, volunteers are reporting technology issues with a new tool that has been developed last minute. Originally, the Democratic Party in Nevada intended to use two apps designed by Shadow to report the results. But after Shadow's app failed in Iowa, Nevada switched tracks. Nevada has early voting for the caucus, which began this past weekend. And there were already reports of technical issues. But the party claimed those had to do more with high turnout. There have also been questions about the security of internet connections at the 2,000 precinct sites around the state. And we're done. My thanks to producer Tim Shovers and thanks to Dan for letting me host Parada today. We'll be back tomorrow and he'll be back next week. <laughs>